Amen. You guys can be seated. Well, today we are continuing our series in the Upside Down Kingdom. Uh, we're kind of talking through Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And um, I, I think the, the hope on this is that we would really listen to God, Jesus' words, and let them affect us, let them change us, like us see things differently, that we would see it upside down. I think a lot of times when it comes to um, God's word, especially if you grew up in the church, like you're like, yeah, I'm familiar with those words, I'm familiar with those phrases, yep, I was taught that my whole life, and like our brain kind of checks out a little bit. And as Jesus said these phrases, you know, when he was there to, to the people, they were challenging. You know, people got upset. People were, like, confused and, and challenged by him. And uh, I think that they were, are still just as challenging to our day. Um, and oftentimes, we read the Bible through our lens of North American Christianity. And we're like, okay, I think that means, I mean, it says that, but really, I think he means this. And, like, we you know, we're not letting it challenge us. So as we're doing this series on Upside Down Kingdom, let it turn our world upside down. And, and so there are times when I, like, read something, and you're probably the same way, like, your mind goes, okay, yeah, that's true, but if we read these other verses, this actually means this and that. Like, we, we, quickly, we quickly move past them and explain them away, rather than just sit and let them challenge us for a little bit before we move on to, like, Okay, so how does this actually work in real life? And that's why Jesus would say these things. He would say these challenging things to make us process, make us churn a little bit. So my goal here as we, as we talk this morning is that we would, our minds would churn as we, as we would consider Jesus' words and let them challenge us. Um, so today, I'm, uh, the sermon's called Upside Down Spirituality. I have three points, um, and I'll just kind of give you guys an overview of where I'm going. Uh, so the first one is, in the upside-down kingdom, true spirituality happens when no one is watching. Uh, number two is, in the upside-down kingdom, prayer is more about listening than speaking. And three, in the upside-down kingdom, oh, the upside-down kingdom is built on forgiveness. So those are the three main things that we want to talk about. It literally could be three different sermons, so I'm going to try to just keep it focused as best I can. Uh, but before we get into all that, I thought I would tell you guys a little story. Uh, as most of you know now, I grew up as a missionary kid in South America, in Colombia, South America, which was not very safe in the 80s and 90s, um, and much safer now, although not perfectly safe. And uh, it's in the years of Pablo Escobar and, you know, the drug cartel, uh, but the, the real danger actually in Colombia where we lived was the FARC. So the FARC was this military uh, organization that was trying to overthrow the government um, because there was a lot of poverty in Colombia. And they thought, okay, if we overthrew the government, we could maybe equal everything out and give everyone the same amount. And so they had this, this whole plan to do that. Well, in order to fund this war that they were waging, uh, on their, they would, they would uh, make agreements with the cartel that, hey, you know, the cartel would say, well, listen, if you would 
you know, prevent any police from going down this road, we'll donate to your cause. You know, so you can see how, you know, the Farks, like, they would hide out in the bushes and stuff, and the police come by, they would bomb them and, you know, attack them, and the police would not be able to go down that road, and then they would get funded for their mission of overthrowing the government. Well, Americans in general, uh, especially in those times, you know, America had this war against drugs, and so, you know, America were sending people in to try to take out Escobar and everything, so there was a lot of pressure on the FARC to make sure any Americans in Colombia did not feel safe. And so we often had uh, explosions go off. Uh, we had a, our bodega. A bodega, if you guys don't know, is like a, um, a storage unit. Uh, so we lived in this like very rural spot, but in Bogota, which is the, the main city there, we'd get things shipped in, and then it would, they would sit in our warehouse, our bodega, until, uh, until we could, you know, arrange for it to come out to where we're at. So there was one time that a bomb was put in there just for us, our little missionary organization and destroyed everybody's stuff that they were waiting on from the United States. So, I mean, this is like a regular thing that happened. And uh, when I was in high school, my freshman year in high school, probably the biggest thing happened, which was um, we had one of our members kidnapped. Uh, his name was Ray Rising. I think I've mentioned about him before, but he was uh, in charge of two things in our uh, missionary base compound is benevolence fund and security. And so what, what we would do as missionaries is uh, we would receive money from overseas. The way, the way missionaries live is churches would donate and then it would come uh, to the missionaries. And then as missionaries, we would tithe our money to the benevolence fund. And then the benevolence fund would go to the poor people just around our surrounding area, you know, people who needed roofs, people who needed food, uh, that kind of thing. And so uh, Ray was in charge of the benevolence fund. And so often when he was done with his normal duties, uh, about like 3, 4 p.m., he would get on his motorcycle and drive out of our compound and go into the town, into the, the Barrio Popular, it was called. Uh, it's like the, the popular neighborhood. Uh, popular not as in like everyone wanted to live there, but like there was too many people that lived there to sustain. So it was just people everywhere, they called it. So he would go there, and he would talk to people and see, like, who needed funds and who needed new roofs and that kind of stuff. And so on one of his days that he was doing that, um, and the rule at that point in time was that you needed to be back in our base by sunset, which was 6.30 year-round. So um, he was out doing that, and he was on his way back. He got back to our gate, and he was unlocking our gate. Well, the FARC had were hiding in the bushes, and as he went to unlock the gate... They jumped out and, um, and caught him and, and captured him with, you know, guns and everything. And there was a scuffle. I remember because I was uh, at home. My dad was on the security team, and uh, we had a, a ham radio. They had radios. Um, we didn't have cell phones back then, so those radios were always on. And so there was like a scuffle on the radio that you heard, and, and that was it. And so... There was some concern, but nobody really knew what it was. Um, and then when he didn't show up, uh, my dad was dispatched, and they went, and they went down to the gate, and they found um, evidence of a struggle, and, um, like, his motorcycle was thrown into the bushes, and there was, you know, some stuff there. And so they kind of had a search party. They went out. I remember it was dark, and I was like, oh, no, what's going to happen to my dad? My dad's the one out there looking for him, but at the same time, it's like, what happens if they find him, right? Like, unarmed missionaries, you know, looking for 
So they never found him, um, and um, he ended up being um, held captive for 810 days um, and eventually released um, some, some years later. Uh, but my dad assumed, at that point in time, head of security. And so my dad was in charge of uh, security, and it, you know, that was a lot of stress on my family. And uh, the FARC would, um, would get on our radio channel, and they would, like, call out my dad's name in, like, taunting names. And they would, um, they had, like, papers that got found by the police where it said next to kidnap and had my dad's name on it. And they had, like, two or three people's name on it. And my dad was, like, top of the list because he was now head of security. Um, so that's the, like, that's my high school years. That's the, you know, and my dad tells a story, um, and I was not really aware of it when it happened, but um, we had a little runway for the missionaries to, like, little tiny biplanes, kind of like Arlington Airport maybe, but even smaller, gravel runway. Uh, and so little planes could land on it, and uh, we'd get a, a plane in like once or twice a day, always our airplanes. And one day, an airplane started circling, and it wasn't our airplane. And so, you know, we had a little aircraft control guy who's like trying to contact them. And so they call my dad, and they're saying, we don't know what's going on, but it looks like there's going to be an airplane, an unidentified airplane landing here. So my dad gets on his motorcycle, and he goes down to the airport, and he's there to meet. And the plane comes up, and the doors open, hop out, and there's a half a dozen guys armed to the teeth, not in military clothing at all. And uh, he said their leader came out, and he had this big silver pistol. And they made sure that he pulled it out and put it back in his pocket and walked up. And my dad said he was sitting there, and he just, like, prayed. He was like, God, help me. Because he knew that he was probably either going to die that day or be kidnapped, you know. And so he just felt like God wanted him to go up and be friendly. So he went up and just shook the guy's hand and said, welcome. Why are you here? You know, how can we help you? And uh, it turned out he was the head of the military of Colombia, so he's on our side, which was good. And uh, and they had, I think they had a, a soldier that had been stabbed that they were hoping that we had some medical attention that we could we could help out with. And so it ended up being a really, uh, really good thing. But the thing is that there's a lot of stories like that um, in my childhood, where you know you look at your parents and you go, is their faith real? And um, I know my faith, the faith of my dad was real. I don't always agree on all of his theology. And um, he's, he has different theology, not all theology, but he has some different theology beliefs than me. But um, he did think, he put himself in danger, and he put himself out there because he believed that that's what God wanted him to do. And, um, but what I know about my father isn't that he was brave or that he, even I didn't even know that, happened when it happened, but every morning when I would get up for school, he'd be sitting with his Bible reading God's Word. And you can tell I'm emotional about this because nobody else saw that. And my dad didn't die. (laughs) Um, But our faith happens when nobody's looking. And there's a lot of people these days in the church that are leaving the church. There's a lot, there's like, I don't know if you've heard about this, but kind of ever since 2020, there's a lot of people 
not going to church, a lot of people struggling with their faith, and there's been some recent studies come out on why this is happening. And the initial thought was that people just don't believe that God exists anymore, and so they're leaving the church. But the the surveys have come back that over 75% of people, especially of the, like, millennial generation, believe that a God could exist that could do miracles. They believe that that could be true. But they are having a hard time believing or being part of the church. And um, the reason that they say that they are having a hard time believing church is the hypocrisy that they see in the church. The people who said that they believed in God are not acting like they believe in God. And uh, that's a challenge for each one of us because we say we believe in God. We say we, we trust in Jesus. But our kids see what we do when nobody else is around. And they see whether we truly do believe in God or we truly don't believe in God. Do we have a, a deep confidence in who God is or, or you know, do our actions, when there's no reason to do what's right, are we doing what's right? So this is upside-down spirituality, in my mind, is this idea of, like, what happens when no one's watching. And my dad, you know, he was a good example for me. One of the real reasons why I believe in God is because I saw that he, I know he truly believed, because I saw his actions play that out in ways when nobody was watching. He was doing things like that. Um, So, Matthew 6, 1 through 6. We'll get started here. I got lots to go through here today. Um, Jesus says this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the street that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who, is see- who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So you see this is this very clear. Jesus is like, do it in secret, not to be seen. And I think if I was going to build a religion, I would totally do it the opposite, right? I'd be like, okay, so whoever gives the most to our church gets special perks, right? Like you're going to get a parking spot out here, giver of the month, you know? You know, we calculated, you get the best parking spot, and we're going to resume this pew. We're going to make a pew that's like a golden pew, right, with the most comfortable cushions on it. And if you give the most, you get to sit in that pew, and everyone gets to know that you gave the most, right? Things like this, I think, would really drive up giving, right? Like, just making it really, and, and you think, you see this actually happening in nonprofits, right? You guys ever heard uh, of the Benaroya family? Do you guys know? So, uh, I worked for the Benaroya company uh, five years ago or something, maybe, maybe further back than that, um, and um, 
the company is led by a guy named Larry Benaroya. The family, it's a family business. And uh, his dad, Jack Benaroya, uh, donated, uh, I think it was $15.8 million to establish the Benaroya Hall in downtown Seattle. And so it was like a $100 million project or something like that. Uh, but because he donated the most, they put his name on it, the Benaroya Hall, right? So if you guys want a name on something, just donate like $15 million. We'll say like, this is the, you know, this is the Curtis Sanctuary, right? You know, come on, Curtis. Um, but we don't do that. Jesus is very clear. Giving is to be done in secret. And not only to the church, but to the poor. He was very big on giving to the poor. Um, and so I think because it's secret, because you guys are never going to get a pat on the back for giving, it's easy for us to not give. No, one, no one's going to know. And, and, and that's kind of the point, right? Um, when, I was a, when I was a kid, my parents, like, depended on money from people. I, I had a weird... Um, view of what giving looked like, uh, because we were missionaries, and so when we, you know, when people would give regularly, we would financially be okay. I remember one month, my parents said that the amount of money given after taxes that they received was $65. Now, that was in uh, the 80s, so that probably went a little bit further. I mean, gas was probably like 50 cents, right? So, you know, you, you kind of figure out you probably get a half a tank of gas or something for that. And they had to live on a month for that. And then they said the next month came in, and it was like $75. And they were like, what are we going to do? And they were in Colombia where, you know, we didn't have phones to reach the outside world. Like, what, what, what are we going to do? And my parents talked a lot about just praying and asking God to provide. And God always did came through, which was, my parents got some really crazy stories. Sometimes I'm looking at my, I listen to their stories, and I'm like, I don't know if that really happened. Could that really possibly have happened? You know, because my, you know, sometimes when you look back on the past, it seems like it's better than it was. They tell a story about when they wanted, they lived in Everett, and they felt God was calling them to become missionaries. They had to come up with like $8,000 in order to become a missionary, Um, and this was like part of their training. So they had to get $8,000, and then they show up at the training place, with the money, and then that would, like, probably do food and lodging while they were getting trained and that kind of stuff. So they had $8,000. They went to their pastor uh, at Temple Baptist Church in Everett. I mean, you guys know that's actually kind of like, this is a Baptist church, and so these two churches actually built very similarly. Um, and uh, the pastor said, good luck, but I don't think $8,000 is realistic for you to raise, right? So huge story about how God provided this $8,000. But one of the stories is my dad was like, okay, I'm going to sell our van. We had, my parents had five kids, so we had a van. He said, we're not going to need this anymore. We're going to be going missionaries. We're going to be overseas. So he put an ad in the paper. That's how you sold things back in the day. There wasn't Craigslist, whatever. Put an ad in the paper that he was going to sell it. And uh, a guy called, said, I would like to come see the, the van. And so he came with his wife and they did a test drive and they came back and they went out and he said, okay, this van looks great. He said, I have one question for you. And my dad said, yeah. He says, why are you selling it? And my dad's like, okay, well, we feel like God wants us to be missionaries and we need to, you know, 
we have money to do our stuff, and we don't need the van anymore, so we're selling it. And the guy said, all right. And he says to his wife, go get the checkbook. So she gets the checkbook, she comes out and goes, we don't actually need a van, and we have no need of being here. We just saw the ad in the paper, and we felt God called us to be here. So we're going to give you the price for the van, and you can still sell the van. We don't need the van. Um, We just feel like God wanted us to give this to him. And my grandfather, who's like, my grandfather was like very, like the patriarch of the family, very much like was the deep-rooted believe in God guy, and he, and he just shook his head, and he was like, I have, I would never think that that would happen, that an ad in a paper, someone would show up, give you, I think it was like $2,500, they gave my parents $2,500, and said, good luck selling your van, and they left, and never saw him again, never saw him again, and this guy, you know, if you think about it, like, he's not getting anything for this, there's no benefit to him, this is what Christian spirituality looks like. It's like God tells you to do something, you do it, and you don't even get the credit for it. And if you're honest with yourselves, as I try to be with myself when I think about these things, is I can't do this on any level. If I do the dishes, I'm like, hey, wife, I did the dishes. Everyone, I did the dishes. Please, everyone, give me some credit. I did the dishes here, right? right? I mean, I can't even do the dishes without, you know, making sure that everybody knows, and I've gotten some kind of credit and God's like, if you're into spirituality, do it in secret. Don't let everybody know. Your right hand doesn't even know what your left hand is doing. I mean, it's just obvious. Like, I, no one needs to know. It's just me. And why are we doing it? Are we doing it, you know, are we doing it to please people, to make people think that we're great? I mean, generally, that's how we, we operate most of the time. Or we think, okay, I want it so that I feel good about myself. You ever do something good and then you walk around kind of like, nobody knows how good I am right now. I'm so good. The best person I know, right? That is not, we also don't do it for God. God, you see what I just did there? You can just pay me that back here whenever you want. You can double it, triple it, whatever you want to do. But you and I know, like that is not why we give. That's not why we do anything spirituality. God has done so much for us. He says, I want you to listen to me, and I want you to follow me with your heart, with what I tell you to do. That's it. Um, this is upside down, right? This, there's no economic way that this makes any sense. Um, and there's a lot, you know, Jesus talked a lot about money. We don't talk a ton about money at this church, but uh, Hebrews chapter 13, he's like, keep yourself free from the love of money be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So you think about this, and you're like, okay, free from love of money. You can't love money too much. Be content with what you have. That's very anti-American, right? But then he says, for I will never leave you nor forsake you. Because we look to our money, we look to our things, we look to our bank account as like contentment. It's going to give us contentment. It's going to make us feel safe. It's going to make us feel whole. And God's like, I'm here. You don't need that to make you feel whole. Um, so part of our giving is like trusting and saying, okay, God, I trust you. Like, you're the one who makes me whole, not my, not my funny, my money. Um, here's another thing that's really interesting. Mark 12, 41 through 44. As I'm kind of researching this money thing. Um, so Jesus says here in 41, and he sat down opposite the treasury and watched people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large. Let me just stop right there. So, 
Jesus is like, okay, you're gonna, disciples want you to come around. We're going to come here. We're going we're gonna to all like sit right in front of the money box, and we're going to watch what people put in there. I just, and just be quiet. Don't say anything. We're just going to watch what people do. It's kind of a funny way of like, Jesus is like, I want to teach you something here. Um, you know, we get into like what he's watching, but, but just even to say like we're, this money thing is such, you can see different people. And earlier he said, don't be blowing trumpets. The hypocrites, the Pharisees would be like, okay, I'm going to put some money in the box. You know, they'd get someone to blow a trumpet. Like everyone watch, everyone would turn and look, you know, they, okay, look how much I'm putting in. 100, 200, $300, everybody. That was from me. Like that's, that was how they did. We don't do that uh, necessarily in our days. Um, so he's like, we're going to go and watch. And it says here, uh, this, one, uh, this one example that Jesus says, it says, And a poor widow came in and put two small copper coins in, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they contributed out of their abundance, but she gave out of her poverty. She's put everything she had, all she had to live on. And you got to see these disciples being challenged. Like they were doing the math. They were like, $500, $500, much better than two pennies or one penny, right? Like, depending on inflation, right? Um, you know, money, more money is better. And he's like, it's never been about the money. It's never been about the dollar amount. It's about the heart. And uh, it's challenging. As Americans, we grab hold of our money. We love our money. It, it's good to have. It's fun to have. Um, and it's not bad to have either. But our hearts so often get drawn to it um, in wrong ways. So um, just a, a couple more thoughts on this before we move on to prayer. Um, our church runs on donations. You guys probably all know that. And um, interesting thing about our church is we actually have a lot of expenses. And um, we have a big building and a small church. So it's easy, I think, I feel like it's easy for us to feel like big church mentality, like you know, there's lots of people. It's a big church. I'm sure we're fine financially. Um, I'm sure someone else will take care of it. We, we also do that for serving, too. We're like, oh, yeah, it's a big church. I'm sure we have plenty of people to serve. Um, and then you start looking at, we really don't have a huge church. And so we need to have a small church mentality. Like, if we're not doing it, and there's not going to be anybody doing it. Um, so just to say that, we actually have a, a slide here I wanted to mention um, that's kind of a graph. Uh, we put this in on the announcements, but we don't talk a lot about our finances. We want to kind of be better about talking about our finances of our church to you guys as people who come here. But the white is our expenses, uh, the green is our giving, and then the little striped ones are like outside donations where we, like, we will lease out our building um, for different things and we get funds there. So in this year, uh, this is up till May, we haven't calculated more recently, we've, our expenses have out exceeded our giving. Um, now, we're not in dire straits. We have money in backup that we've been, been doing it. And some of this was also, we knew that Chris was going to be on sabbatical. So we like, we paid money ahead of time to help do with that sabbatical, knowing that we would catch up. But financially, we can't do this. If you guys, you know, if you guys who like have a budget, know that this can't sustain forever. Um, and so we want you to be aware that we do have needs of the church. We, you know, the church is something to give to, uh, but only as God leads you to. And uh, 
You can donate to the church. You can donate to the poor. It's really a personal decision. In, in 2 Corinthians uh, 9-7, it says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And um, so what I'm saying to you this morning is not shame on you for not giving. That's not what we're saying here. Um, it's just giving is something that's hard for us to do as Americans. It's hard for me to do myself and to figure out what I should give. Um, and that really is something to pray about and ask God what to give and who to give it to. Uh, like I said, sometimes it's to a church, sometimes it's to uh, someone who's poor, someone's, maybe it's to someone who took an ad out and a piece, piece of paper and God's telling you to give. Like, I'm not telling you to confine it to anything. I'm saying, ask God, listen, what does he want you to do with your money? Um, and follow him in that. Because um, that is what, and then don't tell us about it. Right? Don't tell us about it. Okay, um, I'm going to move on. Uh, I just wanted to, to speak on that stuff. I'm sure there's some questions that will come from that. Um, Al is really a guy who's in charge of our finances. He's not responsible for this necessarily like the chart, uh, but he's the one putting it together, tracking it, and, and keeping us on track. So if you have specific questions, definitely talk to him about that. Um, so my second point here, the first one is it's got to be in secret. And he said not only should your um, giving be in secret, but your prayer should be in secret, right? And I think honestly when, with prayer being in secret, we don't get real good training on how to pray, right? Even the disciples didn't get good training on how to pray until they asked. Jesus would go like, okay, time for me to go pray, and he would like sneak off to a quiet spot. He'd get up early before the disciples got up, and he would disappear. And he'd come back, and they'd be like, where have you been? He's like, oh, I had to go pray. So one of these times, um, he was out praying, actually in Luke um, Luke 11, it said that he comes back from praying, and they go, Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? And he teaches the same prayer that he, he teaches here, um, this, the Lord's Prayer. Um, and so sometimes I think, like, we, what we hear, what we learn about praying is just what we see from other people. And um, I think that corporate prayers like this are really hard. It's really hard to, pre, to pray in front of people and mean it. You know, you could get up and you're like, all right, dear God. And you think, what do people want me to say right now, right? Like, uh, we, you know, it's, like it's, it's really challenging to be deeply prayerful when people are watching. Or we learn prayer from uh, people from dinner time, right? So, dear God, we thank you for this food, bless it to our bodies, whatever that means, right? And that, that's kind of like, and so our kids grew up, like, they know these certain prayers that we, they've heard us pray, but these aren't the deep soul prayers that God's talking about here. And so um, my hope today is I, I'm going to talk to you about prayer. I've been really digging in the last, I don't know, it's probably been three or four years now into prayer. And I've shared it several times. So we're going to continue to dive into it. And at the end, we're going to do some of our own praying together. Because um, why not go through it, right? Um, so in the Upside Down, prayer is more about listening than speaking. Let me read uh, these verses 7 through 13 in Matthew 6. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts 
as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So here we go, um, talking about this. And Jesus starts with our Father, right? Our Father who art in heaven. And um, it's kind of interesting. I mean, the word Father is a very, like, connected word, a family word. Like, I'm coming to somebody who I really know. Um, and in fact, in other places, God, Jesus even used the word Abba, Father, which is slightly different. So this, this word is pater, means father. But Abba, Father is different. Abba is this like only a child would use towards their dad. And it's this like papa, right? This like, I'm safe here. Um, and it, even in, in Jewish culture, it would be more than just like, you know, connection, but it's also this, like, you're in charge, right? Like, I, you know, nothing better than a, a kid wants is to have somebody take, take care of them, make, tell them everything's going to be safe, and that they're in charge. You don't have to worry about it, right? So when we go to God, um, he is our father, this intimate, close relationship, uh, this family relationship, um, so Jesus, when he's in the Garden of Eden and Mark, or Garden of Eden, Garden of Gethsemane, just before he gets crucified, Mark 14, 36, Jesus says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. You, you can kind of hear the echoes of the Lord's prayer in here, right? Abba, Father, you are God. Everything's possible for you you know, and what I want is you to remove this cup, but your will, not my will. We see these things echoed in his life, this Abba Father, this closeness. And it's interesting, this closeness, Abba Father, who art in heaven, and then the hallowed be thy name. The hallowed is this, like, holy, this separate, um, hollow, it's like something otherworldly than us, right? Like, we talk a lot about, like, Jesus is close, he's our friend, he's our buddy, you can talk to him. You know, he's our, he's our papa, right? We're safe with him. But yet there's this dichotomy that he's also hallowed. He's holy. He's separate. He's different than us. He's bigger than us, right? Um, and my mind thinks about, like, you know, you guys saw the, the pictures of the telescope, of the Hubble telescope, when, you, when they have shown recently, like, how crazy big our galaxy is. And you're like, whoa, I guess even bigger than I thought. Um, it makes you think, oh, hallowed be your name. Like, your name is, you're a lot bigger than me. You're, you're, you're something that is, is God that I am not. There's, there's, a, there's a separation. So when we come to God, we're like, Abba, Father, like, Papa, like, my safe place, this place I need you, but also, hallowed be thy name. Like, you're like, that is like something that should challenge us. On one hand, you're so close. On the other hand, you're so big and you're so powerful. And some of us have really good relationships with our dads, so that's like, you can picture our dad. Like, I have a, a dad that I think about. I'm like, oh, yeah, I would love to hang out with my dad. Um, so praying as though my dad was there, that kind of makes sense. But some of us have bad relationships with our dad, and we're like, eh, I don't know if I want to, like, think of God as my dad. Luckily, God also calls himself a mother in some senses, right? So uh, it's interesting. Uh, Jesus actually prays this um, is, uh, let's see, see if I can find it here. 
I'm sure I have it. Let me get it here. Oh, yeah. Matthew 23, 37, Jesus is saying uh, in the second half of this, How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. So you think of this like hen, these little chicks, and he's like, I want to be like a hen and gather you up, safety, protect you. We have chickens at our house. And when you have little baby chicks, you know, they, they like keep gathering up. They protect them, right? That's the, the picture of, of God. This is Jesus, as Jesus is like saying, this is how I see the people. Um, God wants to be this safe place that protects. And even, it doesn't matter how old you are or how much of a, you know, strong leader you are, you always want a bigger leader to just be able to say, I got this. I'm in control. You don't have to worry anymore. Our Abba Father, hallowed be your name. He's so big. In fact, it's like saying, and I like to say this when I pray, you are God and I am not, right? Like we, we in America want to all be our own gods and we want to be in charge of our own destiny and like, and just stop and breathe out and go, you are God and I am not. Hallowed be your name. Also, your name, not my name. Do you see that in here? Hallowed be your name. So many times we like to defend our own reputation and we want our name to be great. Uh, in sports, they say you play for the name on the front, not the name on the back. You guys ever heard that, right? Like, like you're supposed to be playing for the team, not for your, your own name to be great. And you see this in sports when people are only out for their own stats and whatnot. Like, it it might go well for a couple games, but usually ends up like spiraling out of control, right? And, um, and we remind, we're reminded in this prayer that we're saying, it's for your name, not my name. So when you do something good, it's for God's name, not my name. That's kind of a, a shift that we have to kind of think deeply and let it soak in these things, right? Um, then he says, your kingdom come. You think, well, what, what is his kingdom, right? It's his power, his influence, his rule, think, well, wh whose kingdom are you building? Your kingdom, not my kingdom, right? All the effort, all the energy, all the, the stuff you're trying to do, is it for God's kingdom or for our kingdom? Last week, we had a, a past, guest pastor come in. He, he talked about the transfiguration when, when Jesus um, was, um, started glowing and Moses and Elijah showed up and they had this, this whole thing. And um, you know, Peter's right there. Matthew 17, 5, I want to read this. He says, while he was speaking, he was still speaking, so, um, oh, I missed it. 17, verse 4, actually. Um, Peter goes, hey, this is so great. We've got Jesus, we've got Elijah, we've got Moses. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to build some buildings here. And people can come, and you can show up whenever you want, and we can have this huge, and people will be super impressed. So, Jesus, uh, so Peter gets in this whole building program, how he's going to build God's kingdom. And while he was still speaking, 17.5, it says, While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased. And this is my favorite part. He goes, Listen to him. Like, not listen to Peter. And his plan to build the kingdom, listen to Jesus. And I think this is such a word for all of us. We go, okay, I love Jesus. I'm going to do whatever he wants to do. And hey, I've got some good ideas. Let's do this. And let's follow him there. And let's build this. And let's do this ministry. And, you know, we're going to do all this. And we're going to make this church great again, you know. And, and God's like, whoa, 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 just listen to him. Listen to Jesus. 
So I, I believe part of our prayer life is coming in your will, your kingdom. What do you want us to do, Lord? I'm listening to you. Um, and Jesus keeps doubling down on this. Your will, not my will. You know, your will be done, right? How many times are we like, okay, I've got a plan for the day, right? I've got a plan. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go do this. And I've got a plan. And we say, God, please bless my plan. Instead of saying, okay, this is my plan, but I want your plan, not my plan. Your will for my job, for my occupation, not my will. Your will for my kids, not my will, right? You can go through different aspects of your life and be like, it's like this, you're letting go. You're like, God, I, think, I, see, I think it was like God like plowing your heart, like your, your heart being like hardened, dry desert. And God's like, I'm going to make some green grass grow here, but I got to plow it through where you're like, okay, God, your will, not mine. Your way, not my way. Your kingdom, not my kingdom. We have to remind ourselves. We have to let him open that up so that he can actually grow something great in our lives. See, I've got like papers everywhere here, and I just want to make sure I'm staying on track here, um, which I'm totally not. Next time I will number these things. Um, on earth as it is in heaven, right, is, is something that he says here. And uh, I think Curtis even talked about this the other day. I grew up with this kind of mentality of like, you know, the world is pretty broken, so we're just ready for heaven, right? We're just going to go to heaven. My parents still, to this day, are like, think God's going to come back this week, so be prepared. Like, they're, they're very much, you know, those people. And I, I believe this prayer is like, we're praying that we would be living for God today on earth. Not talking about going to heaven, but bringing heaven to earth by carving out a little bit of heaven where we are. You know, I think about the Garden of Eden, like a little piece of the Garden of Eden where God has planted us, where we can commune with God and we can be a blessing to others. Like that's bringing God's kingdom to earth, his reign, his, his way, not our way. You see it? Um, on earth as it is in heaven. And, and we get too, too caught up sometimes in like going to heaven. Like, hey, I give up. Like, this is too hard, God. Like, this life we live here in Marysville or Arlington, or this is too hard. I just want to go up to heaven where it's easy. And that's not what God's called us to do. Um, and then he says, give us this day our daily bread. And uh, it's kind of an echo of the Israelites, you know, as they were traveling um, through the desert on their way to the promised land, and he provided them manna each day, right? They, they didn't have what they needed to eat, and he would provide it that day. And if they got too much, it would go bad. They could only have what they needed for that day. And Jesus says, we want to pray that God would give you what you need for today, right? Your needs for today. And so there's definitely a sense of this that we come to Jesus and say, I need you to provide for me today. Remember that our breath, our, you know, our energy, our heartbeat is dependent on Jesus giving it to us for today. But there's something even deeper than this. Jesus says, I am the bread. So when I see give us this day our daily bread, it's like, Jesus, give me a little piece of you, enough of, of you that I can get through today, that I could feel contentment in my soul today. Right? That's what we really want. We don't really need more money, although money seems like it would be great. We don't necessarily really need more youthfulness. 
We just need a little bit of God. We need God in our lives. We need to feel close to him, content in him. That's what we really need. And all this talk earlier on where he talks about, like, your reward, you know, you will have no reward if you tell everybody about it. What is that reward he's speaking of? In our minds, we're like, well, probably money. I gave money. He's going to give me more money, right? That's the reward. But Jesus knows what we really need and what we really desire, and it's this, this contentment, our souls being content in him. And that's what I believe the reward is. When we, when we do God's way, we let him have his way, he rewards us by having us feel content in him, no matter what the circumstances are. It doesn't mean he's going to take away our circumstances. And so part of our prayer every day is that, God, just give me just a little piece of your presence that I might feel my rest in you. Give us this day our daily bread. And then he goes on to say, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And, um, and I think that that's really like, hey, I, I'm putting my trust in you that when bad things happen, and they will, that this is not for evil, but for good. That you are here, and you're going you're gonna to use this. You're going to save me. You're going to prove yourself to be trustworthy in this. That you are doing what's good and that's what's evil. Because, you know, in the Garden of Eden, you know, when the serpent came to Adam and Eve, he said, you know, you think God's so good, but what if he's none of this is, what if this is not for your good? Like, he questions God's character, and I believe that this, you know, this, this thing is like, deliver us from, um, not, lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil, is saying, God, I trust in your character. I'm trusting in your character that all this stuff I don't understand all this will of yours that I'm saying we're going to follow is going to be for my good and not for, not for evil. So this prayer is something that I, I pray uh, daily. And I, uh, we will in a little bit. I'm going, to, I'm going to talk a little bit more about this last part about forgiveness. But we're going to get into, we're just going to practice reading this through and praying it slowly and just letting our hearts resonate with those words. And I've actually changed some of the words just kind of like align with some of the things I've said in the sermon that it might speak to us in a new way. But one of the things here that's really challenging, Matthew 12, 6, 12 through 15, he says, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And then in verse 14 and 15, it says, If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others' trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Can you imagine Jesus saying that to you? And you're like, well, wait a minute. Like, that should be challenging. We should let that sit and resonate before all the brains go off and like, well, what about this? And how does this work? And the Bible says this. Doesn't it say that? That seems, you know, like... Jesus is challenging them, are you people who are people of forgiveness? Because if not, you may want to question, do you even, have you even received my forgiveness? Like, it, it should challenge us. It's like a, a big rock in our field that God's plowing, and then he hits it, and we're like, oh, why do I have to get to forgiveness, right? Like, I just love you blessing me, and I just being here. <laughs> um, because it's, uh, it's backwards for gospel people. It feels backwards for gospel people. So the gospel is, if you guys do not, haven't heard this yet from church yet, the gospel is that we do not earn our salvation, right? We are broken. 
We're in need of him. He shows up, and God's like, I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to die for your sins. I'm going to forgive you, and we are just recipients of that. And so there's nothing for us to do. So this verse should really read is, help us to forgive because you forgive us so much. But that's not the emphasis that he puts on this. He's like, forgive others, or forgive us as we have forgiven others. And then he doubles down and says, but if you don't forgive others, I'm not going to forgive you. And we got to just let this challenge us a little bit. Um, I do believe that our salvation is not based on our forgiveness of others. It's not a salvation question here. But if our heart is hard towards other people, it should Ask, make us ask the question, do we even understand how much God has forgiven us? And there's a, uh, there, and I'm not going to get all the way into this, but Jesus also tells a parable about two servants, and he, the, the one gets forgiven a lot, and then he goes to the people who owe him money, and he goes, I'm not forgiving you of your money, and so you're going to pay, and he like punishes him, and then the, the king or the Lord comes back and says, wait, I forgave you all this, and you're not going to forgive him this? It's the same concept, and um, I believe we, we wrongly understand what God has done for us when we don't realize how much he's forgiven us of, and forgiveness also is not saying that what somebody did is okay. It's agreeing with God that what happened was wrong, right? So when we ask God for forgiveness, we're saying, God, I did this wrong. I agree with you that this is wrong, and I'm sorry, right? And this is like turning. I want to change. I want to be different. When we see other people and they do something wrong, we're saying, God, what they did to me right there was wrong. And I'm not going to hold it against them. I'll let you deal with that. And honestly, it's like what we want to do is we want to say we're a better person. I'm better than them because they did something wrong to me and I'm going to hold it against them. Instead of saying like, God, I would have been, I would have done the same thing, but you have forgiven me. I have done similar things, and you have forgiven me, so I'm not going to make, let myself feel better than that person. And it's hard. There are people in our lives that have wronged us, and we have to learn to forgive and to let go of some of those wrongs. It doesn't mean that we trust them and we say, okay, I forgive you. You're not sorry, but you get to come right back into my life and hurt me again. That's, that's not what Jesus is saying here. But we have to, our, what needs to define us as a community is how forgiving we are, how quick we are to forgive, how f- quick we are to, like, let it go. And go. God, this person wronged me, but I'm going to, like, your will, not my will, like, I'm going to forgive like you forgive. I'm going to let it go. And that is hard for us to do in our stony soil of our hearts. But this is what God wants to do for us. Peter came up in, in Matthew 18, 20 through 22. It says, Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often... Well, my brother sinned against me, and I forgive him, right? You're, this is probably going through your mind. Well, this guy's, I mean, that's one time, but what about, you know, and he goes, as many as seven times? Jesus said, I do not say seven times, but 70 times, but 70, so it's a 70 times seven in, in other words. Jesus is like, listen, it's a lot more than that, right? Like, we need to get off the whole track of, like, keeping track of how much people have hurt, it, hurt us and ask God to teach us forgiveness, that we would be people in our communities, and we're known. They're like, well, I love the church because they forget. Like, like the community outside who do not believe in Jesus, they go like, 
you know, the church believes some weird stuff, but they are really good at forgiving. They are really kind to people who do something against them. And that's not generally what we're known for. And we need to repent. We need to go to God and say, God, plow that soil in my heart. Okay, so as we, uh, as we finish up here, I would like to lead us in some contemplative prayer. And um, what we're going to do is, Garrett, you can kind of come up and do s- some music here. And I'm going to have it up on the uh, screen back here, just some phrases. And I just, you know, close your eyes. I'll read them. If you need to open and read them, you can. There's like 20 seconds for each phrase. It'll probably be a couple minutes of just silence and a little bit of Garrett playing. And I can't control what you do with this time. You've got the time. Just let God speak. Let it use his words, my words, whatever. Um, And my prayer is that we would connect with God in in a new way. And and that's why we, we come to church is to be reminded and to be, you know, encouraged to to take new steps. And maybe this is something you can carry on in your daily life. Um, It has definitely brought me a lot of um, life um, in my relationship with God. So um, let's pray. Everyone close your eyes and and, uh, we're just going to just start, always start with a kind of a deep breath. And we're going to start with Abba Father. God and I am not. Your name, not my name. kingdom, not my kingdom. Your will, not my will. God, I am listening. Forgive me for making it about my name, about my kingdom, and about my will. Forgive me for not listening.
Forgive me for looking for satisfaction elsewhere. Help me to forgive others. trust you alone to save me. In the name of Jesus, we pray.